Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. I lead Faith Christian Center in Austell, Georgia. Thanks for tuning in today. I believe today's message will encourage you, inspire you, help you live a life that makes Jesus famous in every area of your life. And as a result of this message, I believe something good is going to happen in your life as you listen and as you apply it. So listen up. Here's today's message. Open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. We are starting our new Bible study today on the book of Acts. It's called Acts, Faith Experiences and Expansions. Acts, Faith Experiences and Expansions. And so before we go in verse, verse, someone tonight will do verse by verse, but we'll also cover different things you should know about the book. Because when you study a book of the Bible by book, it's important to know the author, the audience, the time it was written, the different themes. So we'll cover one theme tonight. But there's many different themes that I've seen through the book of Acts and different things I've noticed. One of the things I did um, in the late fall and part of last year, I began to read through the book of Acts in different translations. And I began to see some things I hadn't seen before just about one of the things you understand is that God uses people. And so when you read through the book of Acts, sometimes when we read through the Bible, we think, oh, these people are perfect. There's only one perfect person in the Bible. His name is Jesus. And so you see through the book of Acts, these weren't perfect people. In a lot of instances, you see they're just trying to figure out what to do. In a lot of instances, you see they don't even know what to do. And you'll see they use a phrase, well, it seemed good to us and the Holy Ghost. So you see they are learning throughout this book. And we'll point out some of those things and some of the things they were challenged with, some of the things they overcome. And so the author of this book is the writer Luke. The author of this book is Luke. Colossians chapter 4 verse 14 lets us know that he is a doctor. He is a very close friend of the Apostle Paul and an important member of his ministry team. He's also called Lucas in Paul's writing. Luke joined the narrative of the story in Acts 16 verse 11. And so one of the things you understand about Luke, he was not one of the early followers of Jesus. He was not one of the 12 apostles. He wasn't someone who was part of Jesus' earthly ministry, as others were. He wasn't someone who met Jesus while he walked this earth. He got saved in the early church after the day of Pentecost at some point in time. The Bible doesn't tell us when he was born again. But he's a person who came to be very valuable to the ministry of the apostle Paul. When you look at the language and the writing style of the book of Acts, Luke's style and the usage of the Greek language is very sophisticated and has been regarded by some scholars as some of the most excellent usage in the New Testament. Remember, he's also a doctor, so he's very exact in what he does. He's very exact in his descriptions, but it's also his language abilities are beyond some of the others. Now, Paul was a very brilliant writer, but when he compared to maybe Luke's writings compared to Peter's and others, Luke was a professional, and he has very sophisticated use of the Greek language. So starting with Acts chapter 1. Verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So notice the first two words of this book, the former. This is Luke's second book. The first book, of course, is the gospel that bears his name. But you understand why he wrote the book of Acts, you need to look at the introduction of the book of Luke. Some scholars call these books Luke-Acts. These are one whole story. He just broke it up into two parts. So we're used to people today, you know, you think about the Avengers movie. You know, it ends on a cliffhanger. 
because it's really one big movie. The other one fit comes out this year. And so the same thing with the book of Luke. It ends at one point to be picked up with Acts chapter 1. So let's go to Luke chapter 1 and see why did Luke write the book. It's important to know the reason behind the writing of the book. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. And one of the reasons why when you look in our bulletin, you've heard me say the different books we read through the year. One of the reasons I put the book of Luke in our Bible reading for this month is to give you a perspective of Luke as we continue through the book of Acts. Because it's going to take us a few months to get through the entirety of the book of Acts. And so it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, For as much as many has taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. This word declaration here in verse 1 means narrative. So he's saying in verse 1, many people have attempted to put together a narrative of the things we believe. Some people believe Luke is writing Luke and Acts around AD 60. So Jesus ascended into heaven around AD 30, AD 33, around that time frame. So Jesus has been off the earth for over 30 years. The church has been born. The church has started. The church has grown. It is worldwide. But you have a lot of people who have come into the church who weren't a part of Jesus' ministry. They never met him. They didn't see him in person. So now they've heard things from different people. And so Luke is saying many people have sat down to write the narrative of what we believe. And so by this point, Mark has written his narrative. And one of the things you understand from the book of Mark, and not just not teaching the book of Mark tonight, but Mark, one of the things that he did he was involved in different people's ministry, important to different people's ministry. But near the end of Peter's life, Mark was Peter's assistant. So a lot of insights you see in the book of Mark are Peter's insights. You see Matthew's writing. He's writing to a different audience. He's considering Jewish believers. He's writing to, Jewish, to Jews. Then when you look at John, John is writing for a different purpose. So Luke is beginning to explain his purposes. Many people have attempted to put together a narrative of the things we believe. And then he explains the information he's about to share. He gathered from eyewitnesses and from ministers of the word who are eyewitnesses. Because remember, Luke was not there. So what did Luke do? He became an investigative reporter. Because you get to verse 3, it says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you in order, most excellent Theophilus. The word perfect here means accurate, exact, and diligent. Accurate, exact, and diligent. The word understanding means not just what you comprehend. This word understanding actually means to examine thoroughly. To examine thoroughly. To investigate. To follow up on a matter. To trace its course. So Luke's saying that here's what I did. I went and investigated the entire story. We've heard different things preached to us by Peter. Come on, Luke's the person who heard Peter preach. He heard John preach. He heard Matthew preach. He heard all the apostles preach. He's met these people. So he took all the stories he heard, and he began to investigate. So that means he has to go back to different places where these people are. And so he sits down and interviews people. You see in the book of Luke when he begins to talk about things that Mary had in her heart. Well, how do you know that? He went and interviewed Mary. Mary was alive in the book of Acts. Eventually, she moved to the city of Ephesus, and she lived in the same house as the apostle John. And so while he was there... Luke is interviewing, asking questions. He goes and follows up on different things that are going on. 
he begins to trace the course of the entire story and to investigate it. And then he says this phrase, to write unto you in order. Why is this important? Because the other gospel writers did not write their story in order. Modern writing, we write things in order. Chronological order, right? If you ask them well, how to happen, you want them to tell you, well, this is what happened first, second, third, fourth, fifth. That is not how they always wrote in antiquity. So Matthew, Mark, and John aren't necessarily in order. When we begin to study out those gospels and the reason why the Holy Spirit inspired them to write it, they're not writing it so someone has something in order. They're writing it to prove the point the Holy Ghost told them to talk about. So Matthew's not in order, Mark's not in order, John's not in order. That's why when people look and say, well, John has this happen first. Matthew has it happen at the end of the book. Why? It's not in order. And it doesn't have to be. But Luke is saying, I put everything in order. Here's how it happened from the very first to the very last. So now you see the mentality Luke has as he begins to put together this narrative. So that people have an understanding of what we believe. Luke explains that the following narrative is in the order that it happened and that he shares and emphasizes it's in order. Then you see the audience, most excellent Theophilus. The phrase most excellent is used to address those of prominent rank or office. Most excellent is used to address those of prominent rank or office. Every time that phrase is used in the New Testament, it's talking about a government official. So from this scripture, we can see Theophilus is some type of government official. Theophilus, the name actually means friend of God or lover of God. Friend of God or lover of God. So as can be termed by this text, Theophilus is a believer who has a prominent rank in the government. Theophilus is a believer who has a prominent rank in the government. So notice he says, I wrote this unto you, O most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things wherein you have been instructed. You, that you might know actually means to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know thoroughly and to know well. Certainty means undoubted truth. So, Theophilus, you've been taught some things. You believe a lot of things. He says, I want to make sure that you know it well, that you know it thoroughly, that you completely understand what we believe, and that this is the undoubted truth. This is not guessing games. I didn't fill this in. This is not an opinion. I investigated it all, and here's what I found out. So now we understand why and the mentality of Luke as he wrote the book of Luke in the book of Acts. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Pause. Notice the phrase, began to do and teach. Nowhere in the next few verses does he say Jesus stopped. Jesus ended. He says, the book of Luke talks about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles he had chosen. So what he said, Jesus began to do and to teach. Then he was taken up, but he continued to do and teach through the Holy Ghost. So the book of Acts is still an extension of the ministry of Jesus. 
But to point out how Acts chapter 28 ends, there's no official conclusion to the book. Now, remember, Luke is a very educated writer. So he knows how to close out a book. There's some scholars who, be, who believe that his opening of Luke is some of the most excellent usage of Greek in the entire New Testament. And so he knows how to close out a book because he closed out the book of Luke. But he left it without a conclusive ending. Why? One of the reasons is the book of Acts is still being written. Because it's what Jesus began to do and teach. And then he left, and through the Holy Ghost, he continued to do and teach. So the book of Acts, the first 28 chapters, talks about who he did it, who taught through and did through in the book of Acts. But now the work of the Holy Ghost, the work of Jesus is still going on. He is still doing, and he's still teaching through his church today. So it's one of the things you'll see in the book of Acts. So although it has 28 chapters, there's no written conclusion. Luke summarizes in the next verse the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. As we already read, it said, He showed himself alive after his passion by many and fallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So after his resurrection, Jesus walked the earth for 40 days. But he didn't stay the night at different places. He would just keep disappearing. He would reappear, disappear, reappear, disappear. He was being Batman before Batman existed. He would be with them. They'd be talking with him, and all of a sudden, he's gone. This is what Jesus did consistently. We know sometimes he went to heaven. We know other times he appeared in people's rooms. Other times they locked the door, and Jesus walked through the door. And so he's saying for over 40 days, what did Jesus do? What are the two things he did? He proved to them that he's alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Here are just some of the appearances Jesus did. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to other female disciples. He appeared to Peter personally, had a personal conversation with him. He appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appeared to all of the apostles except Thomas. Then he appeared to all of the apostles, including Thomas. He appeared to seven of the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to over 500 believers at once. And then he appeared to James, his brother. So remember, one of the things we'll point out is James and Jude, the brothers of Jesus, the natural brothers of Jesus, did not believe Jesus was the Son of God until after his resurrection. Jesus had brothers and sisters. They just didn't believe in him. And so after he raised from the dead, one of the appearances, Jesus went and talked to James. Could you imagine that? Your older brother is actually the Son of God, and now he doesn't have to knock on your door to, have to come talk to you in your room. He disappears. And so he has a conversation with James. One of the things you'll see in the book of Acts is James becomes one of the early leaders of the church. Actually, from history, study out. We know James wrote a book. We've done a Bible study of the book of James. We've also done a Bible study of the book of Jude here. They're both in early church importance. But his sisters, from what people, uh, history has taught, that they married other ministers and they all were involved with ministry. The entire family of Jesus was in the ministry. So if you think that Jesus will forget your family. Why would he forget your family? He didn't forget his. After he was raised from the dead, he went to talk to his. And they were all there on the day of Pentecost. So if Jesus didn't forget his family, he ain't forgot yours either. So Luke summarizes the 40 days after Jesus' resurrection about what Jesus proved to them that he was alive and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now let's talk about the main character of the book of Acts. There's three main characters. The three main characters of the book of Acts. Number one, the Holy Ghost. He is the main character of the book of Acts. There are some translations called it the Acts of the Apostles. Other translations more accurately say the Acts of the Holy Ghost. This book is about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, 
as Holy Ghost is mentioned 40 in 41 verses. There are 11 additional references to him as the Spirit. So he is emphasized 52 different times in 28 chapters. The book of Acts describes at least 50 different operations of the gifts of the Spirit. So not only is he listed 52 different times, there are 50 other times when his gifts are working in the church. He is the main character of the book of Acts. Number two, the Apostle Peter. Number two, the Apostle Peter. The first eight chapters of the book focus on Peter's ministry and his leadership. The first eight chapters of the book focus on Peter's ministry and his leadership. Number three, the Apostle Paul. The latter 20 chapters of the book focus on the calling, conversion, and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. The latter 20 chapters of the book focus on the calling, conversion, and ministry of the Apostle Paul. The time period. This book takes place over a period of 32 years. This book takes place over a period of 32 years, roughly beginning around 80, 30, 80, 33, and ending around 80, 60, 80, 63. The location. The first eight chapters is centralized around Jerusalem and its surrounding areas, including Judea and Samaria. The last 20 chapters cover different locations in the Middle East and Europe. Here are some important cities to know that you see through this book. Jerusalem. Rome, and Antioch. Jerusalem, Rome, and Antioch. Let's continue with verse 4. And Jesus, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, or not many days from now. So notice what Jesus does. He points back to the beginning of his ministry with the baptism of John. They're all familiar with John's baptism. All of Jesus' disciples and apostles knew John. Most of them knew him personally. John is Jesus' cousin. It says, you remember how John would baptize people in the river? How he would take them and dunk them all the way and pull them up? They got out of the river soaked? That's the same thing that's going to happen to you in just a few days. But it won't be a river of water. It's going to be a river of the Holy Ghost. When you read Matthew chapter 3, you see some of the things that John preached. That John preached the Messiah is coming. I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. And you see the whole reason John wanted the Messiah to appear. The whole ministry was after. He said he baptizes the Holy Ghost with the Holy Ghost and with fire. This is what John was preaching in the wilderness and in the desert. You know, people didn't understand it because the phrase Holy Ghost and Spirit is very new to them. They knew of the Spirit of the Lord, but there's a lot of things about the Spirit they didn't know. How do you know that? Mary, a devout woman, a woman of God. The angel said, the Holy Ghost shall overshadow you. The power of the highest shall come upon you. She's like, you know, she's like, what in the world does that mean? Well, she took it by faith. And so you remember when Jesus appeared to John to be baptized, and John said, why am I baptizing you? I need you to baptize me. John's not talking about, Jesus, I need you to dunk me in water. Jesus, I need that Holy Ghost and fire. That's what John was after. So Jesus points back to the ministry of John the Baptist and said, just like John was dunking people in water, you're about to get dunked in the Holy Ghost. So this is Jesus' narrative. But notice, when they were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So here's where the disciples are focused on. 
They think Jesus is alive. He's raised from the dead. We're convinced. We believe. Now, are you going to free us from Roman oppression? Are you going to kick Rome off of our shoulders? Are we going to have our kingdom again like we did under Saul and David and Solomon and all the other kings? This is where they're focused on. But notice how Jesus responds. He reshifts the focus. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons which a father has put in his own power. So Jesus said it's not going to happen. It is going to happen. The prophets in the Old Testament clearly say this. You see part of it fulfilled in 1948, but you'll see more fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. Jesus didn't say it's not going to happen. He says that's under the father's own authority, his own time. But here's what you need to focus on. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So here is your focus, apostles and disciples. All those who believe in me, all those who see me after I raised from the dead. You shall receive the Holy Ghost. Now, this doesn't mean that they didn't have the Holy Ghost already. Because John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus appeared to them and breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. What happened? When they received the Holy Ghost, they were born again. So the new birth was available as soon as Jesus raised from the dead. They all believed Jesus was alive. They believed on him. They had the Holy Ghost on the inside. But Jesus said, I want you to wait here until the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So here's his instructions. You must be dunked in the river of the Holy Ghost. You don't leave here until the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You see Luke 24, 49, that he tells them to wait there until the promise comes from the Father, until they be endued, covered, clothed with power from on high. So Jesus redirects their focus to the Holy Ghost and his power. And he says, you shall receive power, which is dynamous, miraculous force, and the ability to do miracles. And then after this, Jesus gives the outline of the book of Acts. After you receive this Holy Ghost power, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is where they were. This was headquarters. Notice, he didn't say Galilee. He didn't say Capernaum, which was Jesus' headquarters. Most of the disciples are from Galilee. He says, you stay here in Jerusalem. This is your new headquarters. Judea. That's the surrounding area around Jerusalem. Samaria. Now, it's not that far away, but one of the things we'll cover in the book of Acts, we'll see, it was a place that had cultures that were foreign to them. The Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They were racist against each other. The Jews considered the Samaritans half-breeds because they're part Jewish and part other races around. Not only that, their religious beliefs were different. The Samaritans kept some of the Jewish traditions and some of the Jewish beliefs, and they took some of the other things because other kings, when the Jews were dispersed, they brought in other people. And so they had other belief systems. That's why you see in John chapter 4, when Jesus is sitting at the well talking with a woman, they're thinking, why is he talking to her? Not why is he talking to a woman, why is he talking to a Samaritan? And so Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Samaria, in places that you normally don't like to go, in a culture that's not like you, people who don't like you, and people you don't like them, you're still going to be my witnesses to them, so you better get over it. And then to the uttermost parts of the earth, everywhere on the planet. The church was never meant to be holed up in one location. One of the things you understand by the word church, we think about it because of the German word and the language where it comes, we think of church. But in the Greek, it's ecclesia, which can also be defined as a movement, not a location. It only became considered as a building when you consider the English root of the word. But when you look at the Greek use of the word, it is a movement. Not just one location. It was supposed to be something that continually spreads and fills the entire earth. 
Theme number one we'll cover today. Holy Ghost empowerment. Holy Ghost empowerment is one of the themes of the book of Acts. Luke ends his gospel and begins the book of Acts with Jesus' statement on receiving the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So when Samaria finally believed on Jesus, what was the first thing the church leadership did? They sent Peter and John. But why did they send Peter and John? Go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we'll look at verse 14. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then lay they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So all the apostles in Jerusalem, hey, let's send Peter and John so that the Samaritans can receive the Holy Ghost. Now, one of the things you see through the book of Acts is that the Holy Ghost can be received in different ways. You see on the day of Pentecost, how they're just praying, the Holy Ghost came in and they received the Holy Ghost. But we also see the Holy Ghost can be received through the laying on of hands. And why do they pick Peter and John? Because it's random? No, apparently Peter and John had a ministry of ministering to people the Holy Ghost. That if Peter and John put their hands on you, you can receive the Holy Ghost. There are people like that today. That there's some people you can receive by faith, come on, lift your hands and receive, and they receive the Holy Ghost. And others, they'll put their hands on you and receive. I remember I was ministering in another state a number of years ago, about 10 years ago now, and there was a move of the Holy Ghost going on. And there was a gentleman who was, he had a, was from a Catholic background. And so it was a church, it was a charismatic church, and they believed in being baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he joined the church, and he says, well, I've heard about this tongue business, but I want to know more about it. So they gave him some of these small books, Why Tongues by Dad Hagen and a few others. And so he read all the books. And so he came to church that night and told the pastor, hey, I just finished all the books. And so while the Holy Ghost was moving, the pastor said, yeah, he just finished all the books. I said, hey, come here. And I just kind of tapped him on the cheek, received the Holy Ghost. And he started talking in tongues. Shocked him. He fell out. Came to. Remember, he used to be Catholic. Crossed himself. And went back out. So one of the ways is through the laying on of hands. The Holy Ghost can be ministered. So after Saul became a believer, why did Jesus send a disciple to him? Go to Acts chapter 9, verse 17. So we see the early church leaders Peter, Peter and John so that the Samaritans could receive the Holy Ghost. Then Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Jesus appears to a disciple, Ananias. And it says, Ananias, he says, here I am, Lord. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to lay your hands on Saul that he may receive his sight. For he has heard the things he must do for me. And Ananias replies, but I, I, what, what? Him? What did I do? Jesus, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? What's going on? What did I do to offend you? He has the power to kill us. We've heard what he's done in Jerusalem and all these other places. Why would you send me to him? But, you know, notice Jesus doesn't argue with you. He just said, go your way. 
because he's an important vessel for me. So Ananias doesn't argue. He goes. Ananias went his way and entered into the house and put his hands on him and says, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. One of the reasons God sent Ananias was not just so Paul can receive his sight, but so that he could receive the Holy Ghost. So before Paul started his ministry, he needed the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul was already saved, so the Holy Spirit was on the inside of him. Paul is a brilliant mind, very brilliant. You know, some, he was you know, he's seen through the book of Acts. He studied on Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of the land. Some people believe in looking at Paul's history, how he was trained, that he might have been on track to be the next high priest one day. So he didn't have some low-level training. He had some great training. But be, although he was educated and was brilliant, Jesus said, you ain't going to start until you get the Holy Ghost on you. So when Paul found believers in Ephesus, what did he ask them? Go to Acts chapter 19. So we see the early church and Peter and John believe, yeah, they need the Holy Ghost after they're saved. We see Jesus and Ananias, where Paul was concerned. Go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much hurt as whether there be any Holy Ghost. So, you know, I'm sure Paul's thinking a simple answer. No, we haven't received the Holy Ghost. We're glad you're here. They said, we don't even know if there's a Holy Ghost at all. And so Paul going, so what in the world were you baptized to? And they said, well, John's baptism. So we'll talk about why they believe that and all that stuff when we get to that chapter. So Paul begins to explain to them fully about Jesus, what it is. He baptized them in water again, and then he lays his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So we see Paul's like, whoa, whoa, I'm not going to let this conversation end until the Holy Ghost comes on you. Now, the first time Peter preached to the Gentiles, what happened? Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. We'll look at the supernatural story and a number of other reasons why it's supernatural, why Peter went to the Gentiles. The Holy Ghost told him to go, and he went with them. And he went into the house, and Cornelius, as we'll see later who he is, he had gathered all his family, all his friends, all his close soldiers to be in the house. So Peter walks in, and he begins to preach. And he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us, who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead, to him give all the prophets witness, and that through his name whosoever believes in him shall, re shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, so Peter is still preaching. He didn't pause. He didn't stop. He didn't say, does anyone have any questions? The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. So one of the things that lets you know that as Peter's preaching, the Gentiles believe. Peter's just talking, and they're all starting to believe. Yeah, we believe that. We believe that. We believe that. We believe that. And so Peter thinks, man, this is a good message. 
And the Holy Ghost, I says, I agree. This is a good message, but I'm interrupting you from now on. And the Holy Ghost falls in that entire room. And that entire room is filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak in other tongues. To such an extent that all the Jews which believed were astonished, as many that came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Holy Ghost empowerment is a theme throughout the book of Acts. Every time someone was baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues. There's not one time when they're baptized with the Holy Ghost, like, oh, they're baptized with the Holy Ghost, but they didn't receive tongues. Every single time someone was baptized in the Holy Ghost, they spoke with other tongues tongues. Now, we also see that there are different beliefs and knowledge about the Holy Ghost throughout the book of Acts. So you have believers who are saved and been saved for a little bit, but they don't even know there's a Holy Ghost. But when they receive them, there's a difference. But we see the importance given in this narrative that you must receive the Holy Ghost. You see how the Holy Ghost is a central character even in the book of Luke and the conversation with Mary and the baptism with John. And now throughout the whole book of Acts. And so after Jesus said these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So, you know, Jesus, as he finishes talking, you see from the other gospels, he begins to bless them. And as he's ascending, they just watched him go up, wouldn't you? If Jesus started flying in the air, you'd be following him up too. So they're following him until they can't see him anymore, and they don't realize two angels dressed in startling white clothes have stood, stood by them. And they say, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him going to heaven. So he says, why are you staring up in the sky? He's coming back. So one of the things the early church starts with the mentality is Jesus is coming back. So what we need to do is do what he last told us to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait to receive the Holy Ghost. So they returned unto Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they were coming, they went up in an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas, the brother of James. These all continue with one accord and prayer, and supplication. Why? They're waiting to receive the Holy Ghost. With the woman, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So it's not just the 12 apostles who are praying, waiting for the Holy Ghost. It's all the female followers of Jesus. Luke points out women in ministry multiple times in the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He talks about the importance of them in the ministry. And so he also notes here, it is not just the dudes who are there. The ladies are also in the house. So he emphasizes this point. He says, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. And so if you ever are talking to a Catholic believer about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, one of the things you can bring up, hey, the mother Mary thought it was unimportant to receive the Holy Ghost. Shouldn't you? He said, what do you mean? See right here, Mother Mary received the Holy Ghost. So if you want to be like Mother Mary, you need to receive the Holy Ghost. Because there's many Holy Ghost-filled Catholics. And with his brethren. So now the brothers and sisters are there. It's now a family affair. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, and he begins to address different things 
and the names gathered together were about 120 people. And so now we'll see how they begin to handle business while they're still waiting for the Holy Ghost to come. We'll see that he, Jesus told them to wait, and he only waited for about 10 days. I'll explain a little bit more about that next week. Next week, we'll pick up more with the themes of the book of Acts and continue through chapter 1. In the meantime, begin to read through the book of Luke to understand more of Luke's perspective. Because one of the things, there's many different themes in the book of Acts. Some we'll look at next week. One, racial and cultural strife. There's racial issues throughout the book of Acts. There's cultural issues throughout the book of Acts. They're still trying to figure out how to deal with it. Peter believes one thing. Paul believes another. James believes another. Paul, Paul and Peter aren't people who hold their tongues. You know, Paul talks about one of his writings that when Peter came to hang out with us, he sat with the Gentiles, ate like a Gentile, was enjoying being with us. But as soon as James and his crew showed up, as soon as Jesus' little brother showed up, he went and sat with the Jews. He said, so I called Peter out on it. Because he said, even Barnabas got caught off with this confusion. So you see, they're still trying to figure things out. They don't all agree with what's going on. You see different things like that. You see one of the first tactics Satan uses, we'll talk about this next week, to try to stop the early church is racism. Because he couldn't figure out what to do. So, well, let me just get some racial strife going on. Maybe I can slow down the Holy Ghost. So you see that throughout the book of Acts. You also see something I'll call the tradition that binds. The tradition that binds. Not binds you together, but binds you as a captive. Because remember, a lot of them had a lot of tradition, and they tried to bring it into the early church. But the Holy Ghost did not tell them to bring it to the early church. They brought it in themselves. Tradition in of itself is not bad. But when tradition gets in the way of the Holy Ghost, it's like Jesus said, your tradition makes the power of God of none effect. We'll talk about that as we go throughout more of the themes of the book of Acts. Stand to your feet. So as we go through and lay the foundation, I'm going to give you more and more themes. So as we go through the book, you understand these are some of the things the Holy Ghost was pointing out. Some of the things you learn from the Word of God is clear where it says, don't do this and do this. Other things are precept and example. That you see from examples, oh, this works and this doesn't work. One of the things I love seeing about Paul's ministry was Paul changed his style depending where he was. When he preached to the Jews, he preached one way. When he went to the Gentiles, he preached a different way. He had a strategy. So sometimes when he's with the Jews and believers, line upon line, precept upon precept. But he went to the Gentiles, he said, you know, a prophet said this once upon a time, this and this. And he used what was around the people to point them to Jesus. So that shows there's many different anointed strategies. Paul was a strategist. He said in his writings, I'm just trying to win people. He says, to the Jews, it became to the Jews. To the Gentiles, a Gentile. To the weak, weak. I did all these different things that I might save or win some. They all had different strategies. But one of the marvelous truths of the book of Acts is that the Holy Ghost uses imperfect people. Because there's only one perfect person in the book of Acts, and his name is Jesus. And he's only in the first three scriptures before he went to heaven. Everybody else had issues. Everybody else had problems. There's even when they're trying to figure out what to do. So even in situations where it's like, well, I don't know what to do. Just know you're in good company when you read the book of Acts. But know that the Holy Ghost showed them what to do. And he helped them. And so we can still learn marvelous truths from the book of Acts that apply to us today. That's why we're calling it faith experiences and expansions. One of the other themes you see in the book of Acts was 
church growth was not an option. Church growth was mandatory. You couldn't go to them and say, well, the church shouldn't grow. You shouldn't learn how to grow. They were like, what are you talking about? Jesus said, go everywhere. Get everybody. Church growth wasn't an option. It was mandatory. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the important truths that it holds. We thank you for the main character of the book of Acts, the Holy Ghost. We thank you that he lives in us and rests upon us and leads and guides us today. That the same Holy Ghost who empowered Peter, who empowered Paul, who empowered John, empowers us. Say the same Holy Ghost that empowered Peter, that empowered Paul, that empowered John, empowers me. Never forget that. When the Bible ended, we didn't get a different Holy Ghost. We didn't get Holy Ghost Junior. We have the same Holy Ghost. The same Holy Ghost who came upon Jesus is the same Holy Ghost who's coming upon us. I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Connect with us on social media. Our handle is at WeAreFaithATL. Follow us online at FCCGA.com. If you want to support the ministry financially, you can text FCCGA to 73256 or give online. But most importantly, we never want to close a broadcast without giving the opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you never pray this prayer, repeat after me. Meet it from the bottom of your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, You raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with Your Spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you pray that prayer, we believe you've been born again. So if you pray that prayer, let us know by connecting with us online or emailing us at info at fccga.com. Once again, thanks for tuning in today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Have an amazing day.